Those were the days. Those were the days. It sure would be nice to be back there again. Have you ever said something like that? Those were the days. They just don't make them like they used to. But sometimes I think we forget. Don't cars go longer than they used to? Don't cars, cars seem to, I've got a car that's got over 200,000 miles on it. I don't think that cars used to go that long, did they? But we do that. We tend to look back. We, we get dissatisfied with something in the here and now and we say, boy, if I could just be back there again. And as adults, we look at our children and say, man, if I could just be a kid again, I would enjoy it even more now than I did then. If I could just be a kid again, if I could just go back there again. You know, there's actually the temptation to do that as believers. Even those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ can be tempted to look back at, at our lives before Christ and say, boy, it sure would be nice to be back there. To look back on your former way of life and think that you would like to be back there again. This, this morning we turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Would you go there with me this morning? The book of Hebrews. We are embarking on a new series of studies this morning in which we are going to hear a clear warning that there is nothing better than Jesus Christ. There is nothing better than Christ. A clear course correction is going to be given to us as we study through the book of Hebrews together. Do not turn from Jesus. You will find nothing better than Christ. In fact, the key word in the book of Hebrews is the word better. If you read the book of Hebrews and pay attention, you'll find it several times. In fact, in the English Standard Version from which I'm going to read this morning, I find the word better 11 times in the book of Hebrews. And in using that word better, the writer of Hebrews is pointing to the preeminence of Christ in many ways. And we're going to see those ways as we study this book together. The preeminence of Christ, the writer makes it clear that the topic of this book is Jesus Christ. And that Christ is better than all. Christ is better than everything. Speaking of the writer of Hebrews, uh, some say the writer might be Paul. But, in fact, we don't really know who the writer is. If you have a copy of the King James Version of the Bible in your hands, you might see on the title page something like the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, but just so you know, those titles were not actually a part of the original manuscripts. Those were added sometime later. Bible scholars are pretty, uh, pretty solid in their agreement that there are enough differences in the writing style of Hebrews, enough differences in the vocabulary of Hebrews that it's likely not written by Paul, but we don't know who it is written by. Though we don't know the writer, we do know the author. You know what I mean? We do know who the author is since we know that Hebrews was inspired by God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of, of the book of Hebrews as is the Holy Spirit the author of the other 65 books of the Bible. 
Just as 2 Timothy 3.16 instructs us that God is the author of all Scripture, saying all Scripture is breathed out by God. We call that inspiration. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Each book of the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit as God spoke through human writers and in this way gives us his authoritative word, and we praise God for that. And it is fitting, I think, that we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is because the book of Hebrews isn't about the one who wrote it down. The book of Hebrews is the, about the one who gave it, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point of the book is that Jesus is, is better. So it's fitting. We don't know who the author is. That we, we are not distracted by that. Now, to whom was this, this letter written? That's another question to which there really isn't a certain answer. In fact, it's been called the letter to the Hebrews, and all we really know about its recipients is that they are a suffering group of, of Jewish believers who were tempted to look back on, on their former way of living, maybe even tempted to go back to their former way of living. Maybe they were facing some persecution, things were difficult, and they were tempted to go back to the way things were before. There are other intended recipients of this book also. They were unbelievers who had heard of Christ, and maybe were convinced of some of the things they heard about Christ, but they hadn't yet put their faith in Christ. They hadn't come to a point of belief in Jesus Christ. And then there's a third group of recipients intended by this letter. Those would be unbelievers who heard about Jesus but totally didn't believe. They heard, they heard some things about Jesus, but they remained unconvinced. And so the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to make it very clear in the 13 chapters of this book that if you're tempted to go back to your former way of thinking, if you're tempted to go back to your former way of living, if you hear some things about Jesus and, you, and you're ready to believe them, but you're not quite ready to trust in him, or if you're just outright obstinate and refuse to believe anything you hear about Jesus, don't do it. Don't be tempted. There's a warning here. Be advised, the Lord Jesus Christ is better than all, and you will find nothing better. You will find no one better. Jesus is better. We're going to be seeing that clearly in the course of our studies here in Hebrews. Even today, as we're introduced to the book of Hebrews, we're going to hear in the introductory paragraph to this letter, the writer wastes no time showing us just who Jesus is. Showing us just what he has accomplished. And with this introduction, we're going to get some very clear glimpses of why Christ is indeed better than all. So let's look together as we begin the study of Hebrews together. Hebrews chapter 1, and follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Ray Stedman preached about this passage once, and he says of of this opening paragraph that the epistle to the Hebrews begins as dramatically as a rocket shot to the moon. In one paragraph, the writer breathtakingly transports his readers from the familiar ground of the Old Testament prophetic writings through the incarnation of the Son, who is at once creator, heir, and sustainer of all things, and the fullest possible manifestation of deity, past the purifying sacrifice of the cross, to the exaltation of Jesus on the ultimate seat of power in the universe. It is a paragraph daring in its claims and clearly designed to arrest the reader's attention and compel a further hearing. I hope your attention is arrested by that first paragraph of Hebrews 1 because there is a lot there. There is a great deal of information there, a lot proclaimed. There is a claim that is staked about who Jesus is here and what he has done, and it's very clear who he is. So in an effort to show us the the exceeding excellence of Christ, the writer begins by showing us how far we've come by pointing far back saying in verse 1, look at it again, long ago, the writer points far back in time, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I want you to note this first this morning, that God spoke to us. You realize how precious that is? God spoke to us. That is a very good thing indeed that God spoke and he spoke to us and he chose to speak to us by way of the prophets. God is a revealing, God is a speaking God, which means by God's grace we can know him. Imagine that. Think of it. We can know who God is. We can know something about God. We can know him. And we can know him because he chose to speak through the prophets, and many of them wrote down what he said. It began a long time ago. It began with Moses as far back as 1400 B.C. And it continued through to Malachi 1,000 years later, around 400 B.C. But not only did God speak long ago, but also he spoke in many ways, we're told. At one time, we know, God spoke from a burning bush, right? He spoke to Moses, and then later God wrote his words on two pieces of stone. It says Exodus thirty-two sixteen, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. We know also that God spoke to Elijah, And Elijah heard God in the sound of a low whisper, says 1 Kings 19.12. And God even chose to speak to Hosea through extremely difficult and distressing marriage troubles. In Hosea 1.2, we see it. And God spoke to Amos. He chose to speak to him. If you look at it in Amos 8, in verses 1 and 2, you see God speaking to Amos through a bowl of summer fruit. Can God speak however he wants? Absolutely. God chooses to speak. And he makes himself known, and he's done it over a long period of time, and he's done it in many ways. So this is 
All God, this is God speaking long ago and in many ways, and the result is what we have by God's grace in what we call the Old Testament. And when we stop to consider how gracious God is to choose to speak to us in this way, we have to recognize how very good this is, that God chooses to speak and put what he has spoken in words that we can read in the text of the Bible. Praise God. We ought to stop to think about how blessed we are to have copies of God's Word, translations of God's Word that we can understand and apply to our own lives. But at the same time, what God spoke was pointing to and anticipating something better. You realize that the Old Testament was a very good thing. God spoke a long, over a long period of time, long ago, and in many ways, and it was very good, but, but it was still incomplete. See, what God was speaking was pointing to something and anticipating something far better. That's why verse 2 begins with the word, but. Note this, now God speaks to us through his Son, and this is better, far better. Look at verse 2 again, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. That little word, but, says, says that, that there was something lacking there. We were missing something because God had only spoken in, in, in those ways over that long time in many ways and, and through many individuals writing down what he had spoken. But there was something incomplete, something lacking. But now, what does that tell us? That means there's a completion here. But now God speaks to us through his son. Long ago, and in many ways, God spoke, and that was very good. And we praise God for that. We go back to the Old Testament, and we read the Old Testament scriptures, and we praise God for them because they are instructive, and they point to what we're talking about this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has spoken to us now by his Son, and the point is that 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 is far better. Far better. What he had done was good, but it was incomplete. Now, through his son, he has spoken in a way that is complete, which we're going to see in a moment. But don't miss this. Don't miss the implication here of God choosing to speak. The implication is that we dare not fail to listen. You realize that? If God chooses to speak to us, we dare not plug our ears We dare not turn our backs. We dare not refuse to listen. And we dare not fail to respond to what God has spoken. We do so to our own peril. We dare not be like the people of Israel who wandered around in unbelief because they failed to listen and believe and obey God. We dare not. What what had better happen in our lives is that we listen Because how God has chosen to speak and what God has chosen to speak is for our best. It is for our good. And since how God has chosen to speak is through his son, we best get to know his son. Right? I mean, if if God's word says, this is how I, I chose to speak for a long time, but now, but now I'm speaking through my son, we had better get to know his son. We had better get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're going to be turning away from what's 
far better for us. We're going to be turning away from God's best. So let's look at what the writer of Hebrews tells us about Jesus. First of all, so that we can know Christ better, the writer tells us that God appointed Jesus the heir of all things. Whom he appointed, says verse 2, the heir of all things. So God, the Father, appointed Jesus, God the Son, the heir of all things. And as we're also going to see here in a moment in verse 2, it was through Jesus the world was created, so it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If if the world was created through Jesus, then it makes sense that, that Jesus is the heir of all things. But there's something else going on here as well. Note that this is pointing to the reign of Christ. You need to think reign of Christ. When you think about an heir, an heir of all things, and over whom shall he reign? Well, Jesus will reign over everyone and everything. We've noted that this morning as we read the scriptures that that noted that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Everyone, everything, Jesus will reign over. But especially Jesus will reign over those whom he has redeemed. And we can praise God if you're one of the redeemed, if you're one of those who put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you're one of the redeemed. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ is especially going to reign over you. And we can praise God for that. Because by sending his son, God saw fit to send one who would restore sinners to fellowship with himself. It's incredible. Through sin, we, we have broken our broken fellowship with God, but Jesus Christ is the one who redeems us and restores our fellowship with God. It is through Christ and his finished work on the cross, taking on himself the punishment for our sins, that we are redeemed through faith in Christ. And in this way, God has spoken through Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things. But note, too, that Jesus is also the creator of all things, says verse 2, through whom also he created the world. And the writer of Hebrews is not alone in making clear that Jesus carried out the design of God's by creating the world. Think of it this way. God's, God's design is the creation of the world. Jesus Christ carried it out. Says John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is speaking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So here's why we should get to know Jesus, right? I mean, all things were created through him and for him. We should listen to him. We should get to know him as this is how God has spoken to us. Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is the creator of all things. But that's just scratching the surface. We're just getting started here. 
If we're going to get to know the Son, we're going to need to see that the Son displays God's glory. Verse 3, look at it. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Now there's a good reason God sent Jesus, making him the radiance of the glory of God. Maybe you can pick it up in Ephesians 4.18, which speaks of sinners who are darkened in their understanding, saying this, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, there's a reason God sent the Lord Jesus Christ and made him the radiance of the glory of God. It's because sinners are darkened in their understanding and they need the light to dawn in their hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when one is darkened by sin, you don't see God's glory. You can't see God's glory. But Jesus comes to reveal the glory of God. And Jesus is is the sacrifice. And as the sacrifice for our sins, he is the radiance of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says it this way, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So people, once darkened by sin, who now have faith in Christ, can now bask in the glory of God. We praise Him for that. Because through faith in Christ, light has dawned in their hearts, revealing God's glory. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And through faith in Christ, we see the glory of God. Note also that we can get to know Jesus by understanding that the Son is also the exact imprint of God's nature, says verse 3. The exact imprint of God's nature. Now think of, think of the old the old way, way of sealing envelopes, right, with the wax and the seal. And, the, and what happens when you put the seal in the wax? You pull the seal away and the wax holds the impression of the seal. Jesus Christ is, is the exact imprint of God's nature. And if you're wondering if Jesus is God revealed in human flesh, this should clear it up for you. As one commentator notes, The glory of the Father is invisible until it shines forth in Christ. And we praise God that we see the glory of the Father in Christ, the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is God's perfect reflection. It is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And praise God that his glory does shine forth in Christ. Praise God that we can see God's glory in Christ. Think of it. Here's how we see God's glory in Christ. Jesus in his sinless perfection, right? Jesus come as a man, yes, but he lived in sinless perfection. Think of this. His sacrifice for sins once for all. Think of this. His rising from the dead and his ascension into heaven. This is God's reflection. God is revealing his exact imprint. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of of God the Father. I think of his reign now in in the lives of believers and in his 
one day will reign over all. God's nature is revealed clearly in Christ. And as we get to know Jesus, we see here also that Jesus upholds the universe. Um, Not a small thing. In case you think that this is easy, let's see you do it. Right? Or just make something out of nothing. Anything. Make some dust. No, I didn't say cause dust. I said make some dust. Right? We can't make anything. But... But Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, the idea here is far more than one of simply carrying something. And we sing that little song, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? You think, or you think of Atlas with the world on his shoulders. It's far more than that. It's far more than that. Verse 3 says that Jesus does this with with the universe by the word of his power. The idea is, is more than just carrying something. It's more like sustaining its existence, carrying it toward its goal and destination. It's sustaining its existence, its ongoing existence. And as a verse 3 says there that Jesus does this with the universe by the word of his power, just try to grasp that, that his word... His word is powerful. He doesn't need shoulders. He's got a word. (laughs) Incredible. Just try to grasp here as best you can that Jesus' word is so powerful that it sustains and it carries forth the purpose of this universe and all that exists in it. That's Jesus sustaining it, carrying it forward for its intended purpose. And then note that in verse 3, the wonderful truth that Jesus made purification for sins. He made purification for sins. After making purification for sins, verse 3 says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Later, when we get to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, we're going to hear the writer of Hebrews say uh, say it like this, that, that when Christ had had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, how did Jesus make purification for sins? He became the sacrifice for sins on the cross. And don't miss what you heard there in Hebrews 10.12, that Christ had offered for all time, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. The writer also says here and in chapter 1 and verse 3 that after this, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. Now that's a sign of authority. If he sits in the presence of God the Father, he's got some authority also, doesn't he? But there's also a sign here of completion. Jesus' sacrifice was all that was necessary to make purifications, purification for sins. And praise God. You see, it's not faith in Christ plus something else. It's faith in Christ plus nothing else because Jesus Christ accomplished what was necessary at Calvary. So don't be tempted to think that Jesus can't save a sinner like you. And don't be tempted to think that Jesus can't save a sinner like your neighbor. Or your coworker or a family member. Oh, you know, that person will never trust Christ. Be careful. Be a witness, right? 
tell them of Christ, pray for them, and leave them in, in the Lord's hands. God may reveal himself to them and, and bring them to faith in Christ. And because Jesus has accomplished what is humanly impossible, says verse 4, Jesus is far superior to even the angels. Verse 4, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, if we were to keep going this morning, the following verses go into greater detail. We're going to actually look at those next time, Lord willing. But the reason the writer is making this clear here is likely because there were some who were being tempted to worship angels. And so the reader's trying to head them off at the past. Look, don't even do it. Don't even think about it. Jesus is better than even the angels. And so this morning as we reflect on this intro, these introductory words to the book of Hebrews and we think about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished, I have to ask you this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, do you really appreciate what you have? Look at those first four verses again in the book of Hebrews today. Consider carefully what you have in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, do you really appreciate what you have? Or are you being tempted to look around and say, boy, I wouldn't mind being back there again. I sure miss those days. Be careful. There's nothing better than Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, do you really appreciate what you have? Or are you being tempted by your old life? Are you, re- are you tempted to return to the things of the world? Maybe, maybe things have, have become difficult for you as a believer because you're a believer and you're tempted to give up. Do not give up. Jesus Christ is far better. Or... Maybe you're an unbeliever today who's beginning to be convinced by what you hear about Jesus, but you aren't quite sure you're ready to put your faith in him. Maybe you doubt he's sufficient for the task of forgiving your sins and saving your soul. This passage answers that question. Jesus is completely sufficient. Hebrews answers that question. Jesus is better by far than anything or anyone. He can save your soul. Put your faith in Him. Believe in Him today and be saved eternally. Because Jesus paid the price for your sins once and for all. Or maybe you're an unbeliever. Maybe you're hearing what I say today. Maybe you've heard it from others before and you just absolutely refuse to believe what you're hearing. You're making a grave mistake. Believe and be saved. Because in every case, the writer of Hebrews has made clear who Jesus is and what he has done. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he has begun to show us that Jesus is better. Would you remember that today? If you remember nothing else from what I've said this morning, remember those three words. Jesus is better. Look around you in the world today. The things that you are tempted by, Jesus is better. Those people maybe who persecute you in the workplace, Jesus is better. Be steadfast. 
Know that you are secure in Christ. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, give him your life today because Jesus is better. And the better we know Jesus, I believe the more we're going to want to love him, the more we're going to want to follow him, the more we're going to want to serve him, the more we're going to want to obey him, and the more we'll want our lives to give him all the glory because Jesus is better. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because you in your grace and mercy saw fit to send your Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. And he is that once for all, that complete sacrifice for our sins. And for that we praise you. We praise you for the word of truth, which we are privileged to look at and read this morning. And I pray that you would take it, take the powerful word and and send it deep into our souls that we might be powerfully changed, that we would not be tempted by, by the things in this world, by our old way of living. God, I pray, strengthen and encourage believers to not look at the past and say, well, I wish, I wish I could go back there again. Or it may not be so of us, having tasted how good having seen how good Jesus is, having known how good faith in Christ is. Lord, help us to see that Jesus is better than all. And Lord, for the one who is an unbeliever today, for those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray, do a miraculous work, revealing light in Jesus Christ. Show them your Son, Lord. Tear down the stony walls of disbelief. Break through that stony wall of disbelief and and soften their hearts so they might hear the word of truth today from your word. That they might look to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and see that he is better by far and believe in him and be saved. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless us as we study your word together. I pray that as long as you choose to tarry, should you give us many more weeks, months, and years, Lord, I pray, help us to remain faithful to your word. And we might humble ourselves before it, that we would allow it to speak to us, challenge us, convict us, and change us so that we might be more like your son, Jesus Christ. So that we might be able to tell the world, Jesus is better. I know it's true. Father, we thank you for your help, your guidance, and your wisdom. Help us to humble ourselves before it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.